0: and current events from a biblical perspective 2020 on vision
1: as you know there are significant biblical figures and then there are significant figures from the history of the church one of those to get a focus on today from that period of time known as the great awakening and you'll be familiar with such names as john and charles wesley or jonathan edwards and the name george whitfield might ring a bell for you well bill muhlenberg from culture watch has been mining some treasures in a biography of george whitfield this past week Uh, bill's back with us today to reflect on some insights hello bill welcome to 2020 great to be back Bill, you took some time to immerse yourself in what is quite a substantial biography, 1,200 odd pages, as I understand it.
2: Yes, oh, look, it's a two volume, as you say, 1,200 page work. It's been out a while. I'm a bit delinquent, I must say. Uh, Arno Dalamore spent 30 years all up researching and writing the volumes. I think first one came out. 1970, Volume 2, 1980, but I've been a bit slow, as I say. I finally got it, uh, I think, on the weekend. read it, and, uh, wow, it's one of those books you can't put down. It's just so amazing. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If you want to be dissatisfied with the ordinary and you want to set the bar high, just read biographies of great men and women of God who made such an impact for the kingdom. And there's absolutely no question that somebody like Whitfield is one such person. In fact, more than one have said that Whitfield is probably the greatest evangelist and preacher since the Apostle Paul.
1: And of course, at a time when there was cultural disintegration, uh, both in England and mm-hmm. in the United States, or what we know as the United States. Mm -hmm. And uh, these times were very, very tough. And the likes of the Wesleys and whitfield these are names that are associated with the Great Awakening and even the formation of the way that society functioned as they had preached the gospel uh, to a society in disintegration. Of course, that brought with it the trials and the heartaches, the conflicts and the tribulations that you've been reading about with George Whitfield.
2: Yes, well, you raise two good points there. The first, uh, that it was indeed a, a culture in uh, real decline, morally, spiritually, uh, you know, just all kinds of problems. We think things are bad today, and they certainly are in the West, but uh, things were pretty low back then as well, with just, you know, Rampant social problems, uh, prostitution, gambling, drunkenness, uh, poor conditions of women and children. So things really were bad. So, uh, for the Great Awakening, especially with those three names, the Wesleys and Whitfield, they really, you know, didn't just impact individual spiritual lives, but they, well, they changed the whole culture, they changed societies for the better. So talk about social transformation and the the healing of nations. That's exactly what the Great uh, Awakening did. In fact, uh, even secular historians talk about the impact of this. Much of Europe was going through all kinds of bloody political revolutions during this period. And many have said it's exactly because of the Great Awakening that England itself was spared such a bloody revolution so that's quite an impact but as you say uh, by doing this standing up for God in a powerful way there was plenty of opposition
1: heaps of it and when we talk opposition we're talking persecution here and Whitfield like those other great revivalists was on the receiving end of uh, what would be dramatic and things that you almost can't imagine uh, the difficulties Mm -hmm. that they faced
2: Yeah, well, that's certainly one of the main themes that you get in these 1,200 pages. It's just mind-boggling how much opposition they went through. I mean, we think we have it bad now. Uh, We ain't seen nothing yet compared to what they did. All the great preachers, and uh, Whitfield, of course, was one of the first of the outdoor preachers preaching to huge crowds, tens of thousands of people, but the opposition from not just non-christians but often christian leadership was horrific in the crowds, you know they'd often get pelted with stones and sticks and dead cats and you name it often they'd go home bleeding uh... you know bodies covered with blood all over there were murder attempts on whitfield's life uh... some of the other evangelists actually died of their injuries so they all knew firsthand, uh, you know, really radical opposition. But as I said, probably the worst <laughs> is when the church, you know, much of the established church of the day just did not like what Wesley and Whitfield were doing. Uh, so they often led the persecution. There's one account I mentioned in my article where, uh, one uh, clergyman actually put out a a keg of beer in the center of town and said, here, come and drink all you want, and they'll then go and beat up George Whitfield. I mean, you know, that's how bad it's uh, getting when they uh, try to foment uh, actual rioting and encourage the preachers to be attacked. So uh, they probably had as much grief, if not more, from many of the established religious folks uh, as they did with uh, angry non-Christians.
1: That is disturbing and worthy of reflection. Of course, some of the groups that began to emerge out of, uh, you could say, the ashes of what was going on during the Great Awakening, uh, groups like the Moravians, uh, the Methodists and the Whitfieldians, and these were distinctive groups and they had some different perspectives on Scripture, but they had their own challenges and struggles getting along with each other too.
2: Yeah, well, sadly, uh, as you read about Whitfield or any great figure in church history, any great revival awakening, this is always the case. There's always divisions, there's always tensions, there's always, well, theological differences, uh, tendency for people want to build their own kingdom, their own empire. So yeah, there was sadly a lot of this going on. Uh, Whitfield, to his credit, and sometimes you. Uh, History hasn't always recorded this accurately, but all his life he wanted as much as possible to maintain unity, to not split up the the revivalists and what was happening. He constantly uh, showed grace and love to Wesley, but they did uh, split over theological differences. Uh, Wesley's were, you know, more Arminian in their theology. Whitfield, of course, more Calvinistic in his theology. So while he didn't compromise his theology, he tried as hard as he could to maintain fellowship, maintain unity, and that was sometimes hard. Uh, Sometimes the Wesley's really turned on Whitfield. Thankfully, toward the end, there was some reconciliation. So, for example, John Wesley preached at Whitfield's, uh, uh, funeral. So, you know, it came good in the end, but there was a lot of tension and that meant a lot of heartbreak and grief for Whitfield. He really didn't like it when he saw the movement splitting up and all these, uh, rivalries. So, in fact, he stepped down from leading much of this so that it wouldn't lead to further, uh, Division and, of course, the lessons for us today and all this is quite amazing.
1: Bill, the sort of lessons that you can pick up from reading a biography, I note that you have written about some of the challenges that you've faced as these things have come to light and you're reading about Whitfield's life and questions about where do I stand firm theologically and when should I give a bit of ground or when should I publicly rebuke error and when should I hold my tongue? These sorts of questions come about. Not always simple to find biblical answers on all of these sorts of questions, but you can see these things practically outworked in the life of great Christian leaders when you pick up their biographies.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and again, these are questions all of us have today. I certainly do. Uh, You know, there's certain theological truths I must proclaim, you know. uh, When there's a real attack on biblical truth, we have to publicly stand for that. But the question is, you know, when when should we keep quiet? When should we speak out? Are there times when we publicly rebuke a brother for going down the wrong road theologically? Uh, you know, those are all valid questions. Christian unity is hugely important. But guess what? Christian truth is hugely important. So we don't want to minimize either. <laughs> we want to strive for both, both unity but with truth. And that was Whitfield's passion. Like I say, often he was attacked and lied about and, you know, all kinds of horrible things said about him. Often he wouldn't even reply. He'd just say, All right, God, I trust you, you were mistreated, I'll be mistreated, that's the way it goes but sometimes when he felt that real theological truth was at stake well then he would uh... maybe write a booklet in reply or whatever so we need discernment we need wisdom uh... we should aim as much as possible for unity and fellowship and reconciliation uh... but sometimes there may be cases where we have to let a brother go if he's uh... you know going too far down the path of uh... false doctrine So again, simply reading about Whitfield, how he tried to deal with all that for year in and year out, his whole ministry of about 34 years, it's really uh, very inspiring and very encouraging and uh, it's taught me quite a lot and I think it can teach anyone if we're concerned about these issues.
1: And some lessons for the way we might appreciate churches and denominations relating together, this word ecumenism and uh, you've seen him as something of a champion of that given the divisions that could have developed because of different theological positions but he worked hard to ensure that there was a proper sort of ecumenism and enabling Christian leaders to work together.
2: Yep absolutely like I say he always strived for Christian unity where possible he knew it wasn't always possible and in fact all of his life he claimed to be an upstanding member of the Church of England so much like Luther never originally intended to split from Rome, uh, the Wesleys in Whitfield never intended to form a new denomination. Of course, Methodism did arise eventually, but, uh, you know, uh, all of his life Whitfield said, I'm trying to be true to the principles of the Church of England and the 39 Articles. So in that sense, he was happy to work with others. He would work with Baptists or Independents or Presbyterians. He didn't mind doing that. If they were loving God, serving Him and witnessing and, you know, had a love for souls, uh, Whitfield was always happy to work together with them. Of course, that got plenty of criticism. Uh, the Anglican clergy didn't like it when he was doing it. When he was too friendly to the Wesleys, the Calvinists didn't like it when he was too critical of the Wesleys. Uh, the Arminians didn't like it. So <laughs> it's one of those things. No matter what you do, you get uh, complaints from all around, and we find that still today, you try to do what's right, and you get criticized on every side. So. Once again, a lot of great lessons in the life of of, uh, Whitfield.
1: Well, the book that you were referring to, the biography George Whitfield by the author Arthur Dallimore, and it's not a new volume, but for those who are interested in getting a hold of a volume like that, simply do a Google search and you'll find a Biography and look for that Dalymore uh, biography on George Whitfield. I'll point people, Bill, to your article, Lessons from the Life of Whitfield. Simply Google Culture Watch or go to BillMuhlenberg.com. Bill, great getting a catch up and thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us today on 2020.
2: Always a pleasure.